after the first crash, most games lost 90% of their player base. So they went down from tens of thousands of daily active users to thousands of daily active users. Hello friends and welcome to a new interview of a series with guild leaders and key opinion leaders in our industry, Web3 Gaming, guilds and the metaverse. Today I am interviewing uh, Niraj from uh, Moonstream.to. So Moonstream is kind of a, I will define it as an infra guild per our definition. They are uh, providing services for uh, Web3 games. Uh, they are powering uh, Web3 games economies. And they've done quite a lot, actually. I know that one of your impressive milestones is that through the smart contract you developed, there has been more than $4 billion that transacted in different games, such as uh, Crypto Unicorns. So uh, I'd say that if there is, if there has to be an expert in kind of uh, in-game uh, tokenomics, tokenomics design, etc., it has to be you. We've been discussing for a couple of months already. I deeply respect your thoughts. We had a lot of fun in across all the discussions. So. We, we'll, we'll dive more into it, definitely. But my very first question is simply, uh, who are you? Who is Niraj? Uh, please, yeah, tell us your story. Yeah, um, I'm I'm a mathematician and I'm a gamer. Um, and, you know, I've been sort of involved in crypto since, I would say, like, you know, all in since 2016. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I started my life, as I said, as a mathematician. Uh, and when I say mathematician, I mean... You know the kind of mathematician who only worked with pen and paper, right? I didn't have much of uh, respect for computers or anything like that for for a lot of my young life. Um, but when the Bitcoin white paper came out, it certainly made its circles through the mathematical community, uh, and that was my first sort of exposure to crypto. Was in two thousand eight when I read the Bit Bitcoin white paper. Um, I didn't think much of. I mean, you know, I didn't. Uh, you you read it in two thousand eight for the first time. Yeah, 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 like just just when it came out. Yeah, yeah. The, when when it wow, they said like the ma in the mathematical community, it sort of made its rounds. You know, like uh, pretty. Well, I didn't know that. Um, but of course, most mathematicians are thinking what mathematics and not about you know decentralized ventures and money and stuff like that. And I, I was sort of in the same camp, so I didn't I didn't really act on act on that knowledge at that time. I wish I had. Um, mm -hmm. I got like I I got a little bit more active around like you know 2010 2011. Uh, but again, not super active. I'm not. I'm not filthy rich, right? I didn't, I didn't make like uh, like insane amounts of money off of off of the Bitcoin that I bought. Just, just insane amounts. Just say yeah, yeah, yeah. Insane amounts, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, the thing that really excited me in crypto was, uh, you know, when Ethereum first sort of launched um, their network, they were billing themselves as a world computer, and this was like super exciting to me. And that by that point, I was already in tech, uh, and you know building software and like you know working with infrastructure so i was also in a better position to sort of act on my excitement but ethereum as a world computer was like super exciting the fact that you could have programs that were running like you know just by consensus on a global network that the, and the execution was sort of the, the those operations were available to the whole world uh to verify and, and to and to act on uh that was that was extremely exciting so i started off uh building first, just working on the infrastructure side of things um, and sort of moving my way up the application stack, you know, so to writing smart contracts, writing applications on top of those smart contracts. Um, I I ran the uh, blockchain and the AI teams at a company called Dokian uh, from 2017 to 2019. 
Um, and that's when I left uh, to start Moonstream. So with Moonstream, you know, we started off purely doing blockchain analytics. Um, and our initial customers, uh, our initial users, like the initial users that, that were using Moonstream were uh -huh. crypto traders. You know, we started getting traction in 2021. And 2021, there were a lot of crypto traders in the world. There still are, but uh, there were a lot more in 2021. And uh, at blockchain games, um, we didn't really want to serve the crypto trader use case. We felt like, you know, those users were just... Uh, they, they were loyal. They were not loyal. They were not like loyal users. They were not users that would like sort of help us to grow the product. They were just for data, like any way that they could find it. And that, you know, it, 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 for them, it, they treated it as sort of like as a commodity. But the technology that we built for the analytics was quite good. And we felt that like, you know, the games that were using us for analytics were just in a much better position to sort of take advantage of, of our technology and to like really help us to grow the product and the company. So we decided to sort of go all in on games in 2021. And our first paying customer at games was Crypto Unicorns. And they started out like, so, you know, when we had started out, they had just started out. Um, and so their project became hugely successful uh, at the end of 2021. You know, they, they had a very successful token mint. They had a very successful second mint. They had a very successful third mint and then the land mint. And, and then they, uh, you know, uh, so we sort of grew with them. Um, and our ideas grew with them as well. You know, we started off as an analytics company, but then they came to us and they, you know, they had problems that were informed by the analytics. Like the analytics helped them to identify how they could improve their game, how they could improve their game economy, how they could improve the experience for their players. Uh, it told them sort of what the issues were, but then they needed to actually solve those issues. And, uh, and so we worked together very closely on, on those solutions as well. And that turned into like Moonstream's platform and Moonstream's product where we could generalize those solutions to any game. So basically, you know, the problems are that, you know, there, when you're running a Web3 game, your economy is a real economy, right? And the problems that you have are the problems, are the same as the problems, like let's say the Federal Reserve has, or the, mm -hmm. uh, the President of the United States, or like, you know, some country has. You have to keep that economy ticking and you need to keep it healthy. Um, and you, you need to have like a, the, the Federal Reserve has a bunch of tools at its, at its disposal that allows it to do so. There's a lot of infrastructure in place that allows them to like sort of manage the monetary policy of the United States, right? The same for central bank in any other country. But if you're a Web3 game designer managing an economy, you don't have those tools in place. Uh, you know, how do you run, let's say, a stimulus program? How do you change like interest rates on something? How do you change tax rates on something? Uh, if you're running an economy, like, you know, what's being produced in that economy, uh, do, you know, who has the means of production? All of these are questions that you need to answer. But, you, you know, if you're a game designer at Web3, especially in 2021, you didn't have any tools that helped you to, like, sort of address those things until Moonstream existed. So basically, we built all of the infrastructure that allowed crypto unicorns to make their economy very successful and then you can generalize into other economies. Yeah, no, I remember on this specific example on... on um... On crypto unicorns when we met in new york you kind of explained me how these things went and how you know crazy it was because you were kind of testing it out uh among the pioneer in in, in the in this space you know like deploying all smart contracts and dealing with like huge amounts of, of uh, transaction volume so uh, maybe it would be interesting if you could tell also that story so how how did you you launch it what kind of problem did you face what, what did you learn from it and how did it help you kind of iterate? I can actually tell you the story of our first on-chain game. So this is sort of how we, you know, like 
this is how games actually became part of our infrastructure as well, right? So one of the mm-hmm. things the unicorns was um, their game launch was going to be delayed, uh, and they sort of wanted to provide utility for their community even before the game launch because you know delays are very natural in this space, but delays all the overt communities like quite badly, especially before a game exists, right? Um, so you know we were talking about this. I think we were talking about this in December of 2020. Um, Aaron from Crypto Unicorns and me, and I suggested that we build a game because we've been we've sort of been experimenting with on-chain game mechanics. We believe in doing things as much on-chain as possible, which is quite different from other people building in the space. Uh, and so we were experimenting like just internally with these on-chain game mechanics. And so that Christmas, I think Christmas of 2021, uh, we um, uh, I said, okay, I understand your problem. Let me let me try to whip something up. So the way that we do it is that we have these composable game mechanics. You know, so anybody can like you know, let's say that you want to have like a harvesting mechanic and a sacrifice mechanic or um, a crafting mechanic, whatever. You can just sort of compose them all onto the same contract, and then you can put whatever like lore or flavor you want to on top of that and give it to your players. So mm-hmm. again, we work with their uh, game design team. So I talked to their game design team a couple of times, and the sort of concept that they came up with uh, on the game mechanics was. Uh, they called the game Crypto Unicorns the Dark Forest. Mm-hmm. And, um, the way it worked was it used our harvesting mechanic and it used our sacrifice mechanic. So they used it as a way to release their utility token. So in, in the Crypto Unicorns universe, there's a utility token called Unicorn Build. Uh, they used our contract as a way to release that utility token to their players, right? So uh, unicorns would go into our contract. So they would go in to explore the dark forest and they would come out 24 hours later with unicorn milk, right? So that's our harvesting mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you just release a token and there's no value, there's no actual utility for that token, like, you know, what's going to happen? It's just going to dump, right? Yeah. So they used our sacrifice mechanic to actually create the sink for the token. So the sink was called dark altar. Um, and the way that it worked is... Um, if you gathered enough of this unicorn build, you could go and sacrifice it at the dark altar, which is our sacrifice mechanic. And that would give you a chance of winning an egg. Okay, that was the the eggs were actually a lifeless token also hosted on our platform for an minute. It's called the shadow cords, which are like the enemies of the crypto unicorn. Uh, so in order to get on the whitelist, you had to play the game, and you had and you, you did were not guaranteed to get on the whitelist. You had a probability of getting on the whitelist. That probability used our loot box mechanic. So we have a third mechanic, a loot box mechanic that you can use for that. Uh, anyway, so this was the sort of uh, basic game. I wasn't expecting, you know, when we launched, you know, it, we're just like some random small company. Their community didn't really know about us. Like I was expecting, like maybe ten percent of like their, you know, their sort of characters would participate in our game. Not not a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Overnight, the total value of the assets locked into that contract was close to a hundred million dollars. Like more than ninety wow. characters in their universe were playing our game, and the tokens that we were generating, like you know, the utility token, like you know, the market cap immediately, the active market, the market cap of like the active token went up to like yeah, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Uh, the yeah. shadow corn eggs were trading on OpenSea for like you know wow. twenty. At the time, so this was all the wow. game ran from January, uh, end of January 2022 to the end of March 2022. And in that time, we generated like you know, close to two million transactions on Polygon mainnet. Uh, with that contract, wow. and we had really interesting things like you know, YGG built a guild smart contract very quickly, uh, that allowed because they had a lot of assets and it'll like you know, to interact with our yeah. contract. There was just 
so much really interesting, innovative stuff going on uh, in those two months. We even had a vulnerability exploit on the contract where basically someone who was smart could watch the chain and count cards uh, just because of the way that we were resolving randomness in our loot boxes at that time. Uh, and that was super exciting because, you know, they, they were yeah. trying to get the most rare shadow corn egg, the ones that were worth like mm-hmm. money. They were trying to um, get into to and uh, game the system. Yeah, they were trying to game the system. Uh, and we found out about this and like, you know, we built a bot that would counter snipe them, which is like super exciting, right? So this yeah, you know, it's... tried to rarely snipe and then we built a counter sniper that would shut down their transaction basically before before it got uh, before they were able to succeed. Uh, so they actually ended up losing uh, losing more money than they than they gained from like their their attack. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know that was like probably the most tense <laughs> when we discovered them to like when uh-huh. we bought that whole thing took us about half an hour. That was the most tense half an hour of my life, I think. And then the, it know, was like the 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 day you deployed it, like the same day. Thirty minutes, thirty minutes turnaround time. But we have you know our analytics platform is one of the best, right? So it's. Uh, you were able to spot that so yeah. quickly and, and kind of wow it's really like a, a battle launch you know you're because because like when you do this launch there is no like nets to protect you and there is already hundreds of millions almost of dollars value yeah. in, in, like in, like yeah. incoming in so it's it's yeah I can, I can imagine the the rush and and then the yeah. feeling that you had at the moment so so we, we found out about this only one month after launch. So the attacker ah, okay. like found the vulnerability like one month after the launch, and that and then yeah, we found it. I mean, it was <laughs> it was an amazing two months actually. It, it, this is the thing, like you know, the whole space is so new that there's so much of yeah. the stuff to do. Uh, it's a very even now it's a very exciting time to be in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, definitely things uh, took a different turn. I mean, yeah. the, the excitement is more quiet and calm and. You know, the long term and you know you're excited to fight with yourself to, to find new ways to to survive and thrive but but yeah no that, that that's for sure and a lot of things are, are going to happen i mean right now we have many many projects I'm, I'm i'm excited about you know maybe also before we go more into what what you do you could tell us as well what what is your uh, kind of bold prediction for 2023 my bold prediction for 2023 yeah for for uh, yeah in in our industry what you're gaming I think I think my bold prediction for 2023 is uh, is uh, probably quite quite depressing you know for <laughs> for this show I think okay it's fine it's fine you can go ahead you can, you can say the negative one and then an optimistic well I think 2023 is going to be a pretty brutal year actually mm-hmm. uh, because we haven't seen like we haven't seen yet the full effects of especially the FTX crash. Uh, I think there is still some contagion to be. Yeah, yeah, I think think so. Um, At least, you know, if you're running a project, if you're running a business, you have to plan for that happening. So so for us, you know, we're sort of putting those plans into place. Uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, what's great in the space is that the fact that, you know, the fact that like the market crashed and then the market crashed again, like, you know, at the end of last year, it's sort of... uh, refreshed the ideas that are happening in blockchain gaming now because yeah. you know in the bull market it you know you would be stupid not to sort of copy the ideas from Axie Infinity right like uh, most games that were coming out were played to earn games very much in the mold of Axie Infinity and it was really hard for projects that didn't look like that to you know gain a following and to gain funding and stuff like this yeah. but now I'm seeing games experiment a lot more on the kind of ideas that they incorporate and uh, there's a general movement away from play to run which I think is 
actually quite a quite a positive thing because uh, for the most part, you know, what the market pressures have taught us is that the people who are playing these games to earn money, they were not really playing games. And uh, that made yeah. the games not, you know, the, the games had very little incentive to actually be entertaining game. And I see that dynamic changing like very significantly right now at the market, uh, which is which is a good thing, I think, for the industry. Because ultimately, if like, you know, Web3 decentralized gaming needs to stand on its own legs, it has to stand on, you know, it, it that foundation needs to be entertaining games that people want to play, right? Uh, that's how you get like a large number of people who are playing these games rather than like a very small number of people that are just participating in money harvesting activities. So um, it's it's somewhat a good thing, but it's just going to come a little bit of discomfort, I think, this year. No, okay, that, that's true. And, and and you think, how does this translate like concretely for, for, for games? You think they need to fight value extraction as much as they can? They need to put all the barriers in order to limitate the the explo exploitation or uh, value extraction in their game you know i think the the you know if let's say that you have an existing economy or like existing dynamics where you worry about value extraction i think you, you need to worry about value extraction but the premise is already wrong you know like basically like yeah. the the initial design of the economy is what really needs needs to have improvement so basically like value extraction is just a symptom, right? It's a symptom mm -hmm. of your not not being able to capture player interest. Uh, and, and so so just directly try to address value extraction by like you know putting putting blockers in place for players to extract value is not the right way because then you're basically holding holding them hostage, right? Like it's uh, what you really need to do is you need to make entertaining games, you need to give them entertaining experiences. You need to like basically give them compelling reasons not to extract value from your economy. Uh, and interestingly, I think Axie is doing the right thing over here in the sense that, uh, you know, they're focusing on Axie Origins. Uh, there's very little or to no, like, you know, Web3 angle over there. They're really just trying to find the fun in their universe. Uh, and they have enough, they're sitting on enough capital that they have the time to do that. And the, I do believe that they have a good chance of finding that fun. And when they do, they, they'll come back into blockchain gaming with like a very revitalized uh, sort of just community yeah. universe and uh, something that that has a good chance to sustain like you know very very long term so uh so in the bull market people are like following their play to earn model i think like probably you know in the next couple of years people will be following like their entertainment model as well. so what would you say to like there are many games that are about to be released or at least the alpha you know and and they have they have an economy they have a design in mind and and they're will experiment on that but so you've been in this space you've transacted a lot of volume from in-game economies you've, you've designed also this kind of economy so what are the things that we can already rule out that this is not going to work and i know some games are still copy pasted from axis uh, kind of tokenomics which is probably going to be tough uh so what can we rule out and what do you think is the most uh promis promising that you you've you've learned from all the analytics and and your platform yeah, actually, if you take, if anybody takes one thing away from this, uh, from like our conversation, I want yeah. them to be silly, okay? So we, because we look at on-chain data and we understand yeah. how on-chain activity there is in various games, okay? So mm -hmm. from the bull market, in the bull market, you know, across all EVM games, because we, we follow basically EVM networks, right? Across all EVM games, um, there were hundreds of thousands of daily active players, right? That uh, that were just generating a lot of money, whatever, right? They they were like quite engaged. Um, 
it, over the last two crashes, so over like, you know, last uh, end of, you know, beginning of summer and then November FTX crash, those, so after the first crash, so like, you know, in the summer, you, like most games went from, let's say, so hundreds of thousands of daily active players across all Web3 games. The very yeah. games had tens of thousands of daily active users, and then it like mm-hmm. sort of dropped off steeply, right, during the bull market. So that's the bull market thing. Uh, after the first crash, most games lost 90% of their player base. So they went down from tens of thousands of daily active users to thousands of daily active users. Mm-hmm. After the X crash, they've lost, let's say, like a further 5% of their player base. So now even the most successful games, that the ones that are only targeting towards the Web3 crowd, they only have mm-hmm. hundreds of daily active Okay, this is hundreds, no yeah, more. Hundreds even Ax, even Axe Infinity, they have hundreds uh, of Axe. Axie, Axie data is not. I think Axie has thousands, but uh, okay. it's not available. Yeah, yeah Ronin Chain is not so accessible, but uh, no. I think they're working on that. But, uh, well, t- some some people were able to access it, but in a different way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was, that was a bit tough. Anyway, uh, so yeah, now what you're saying is that only hundreds of of daily active users remain. Yeah, and, from uh, the Web three crowd, right? So the if you're if you're targeting only like you know the Web three native crowd for your game, uh, mm-hmm. you're fighting over like basically table scraps with other games, right? So every Web three game is like going after the same Web three native crowd, and they're fighting in a like very cutthroat competitive way for like a very small number of users. Yeah. Not, first of all, that's not a good foundation for an industry, right? So as like no. I'm saying, gaming as an industry, you don't want like games that have only hundreds of daily active users. Um, and it's yeah. better to actually confront this problem head on. Like, you know, if you're starting a gaming project, you sh- you need to confront this problem head on. Don't put your head in the sand and follow the strategy that everybody else is following. So, um, you know, think about how your game appeals to people who they don't know what MetaMask is. They don't know, like, they, maybe they don't have an account on any crypto exchange. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, think about how much friction there is, right? Like, if you release a game on an L2, think about, like, yeah. what like some random person would need to do in order to be able to even start playing a game. It's incredibly difficult. So even for me, that, it is. Some yeah. games I just, I was discouraged. I, I, I mean, yeah, I tried. I, it was just so complicated. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Well. Like finding a way to bridge up to like whatever chain that they're, they're running on, mm-hmm. like in the ass. Like it's just, there's so many issues with this, right? Yeah. Um, so I think an important, an important thing to consider is like, you know, what make an onboarding experience for like people who have no idea what Web3 is. Give them an experience where they don't even need to have assets necessarily to play your game, right? Ultimately, mm-hmm. we don't write software so that, like, you know, only 10,000 people can use it, right? Anybody who's writing software writes yeah. software and a lot of people can use it. Why, why should we put limitations on, like, the experiences that we build for people? Like, you know, artificial scarcity, okay, maybe it creates value for tokens or something, but, like, it makes your mm-hmm. it like, the, the value of the software that you're writing. Let's say that you're a programmer or a game designer or something like that, right? So I think one important idea is, uh, and this is a suggestion, is uh, you know build an experience where people can actually play our game without owning assets, and give them a pathway to like uh, to to earn those assets in the game. Reward skill, you know. So ultimately, like in games, there's like there's an entire industry around playing games, right? There's people yeah. like stream on Twitch, make YouTube mm-hmm. videos, like you know monetize like guides the game. Ultimately, like all of those are based on skill. Uh, people watch the most skilled players. Uh, so, you know, esports is about watching the most skilled players. That some people also watch the most entertaining players. But like you know, there's usually an element of like you know, how do I get better at this game? This person knows how. Let's start following mm-hmm. them on Twitch or let's start following them on YouTube, and that that sort of like you know how you ramp up. Skill is important to people who play games. So like sort of 
it's important to have those elements in your game. It shouldn't just be about like an all pay to win kind of mentality because pay to win ultimately doesn't create, I think, like very large followings. Uh, and you need to build a strong community in order to in order to have a good game, like a proper game, right? Um, so reward skill, give players a path where they can start playing your game without like any crypto at all uh, and sort of upgrade onto the, you know, onto the crypto side of things as they become more competitive or more skilled at the game. Uh, then you have time to actually start enjoying your game that, you know, you buy capital with like social capital with them by making them enjoy your game. And then like, you know, you sort of bring them off the crypto. Uh, that's a, that's, I think a very important thing. Uh, that, that's the kind of infrastructure that we're building right now. This is where like, you know, crypto guilds and other organizations who have access to players, uh, can mm -hmm. be very important, uh, in the space because, you know, how do you get access to those people who, you know, players who might not be Web3 native right now, but who are interested in playing like, you know, certain types of games. The That player acquisition strategy, I think, needs to change completely uh, in the space in 2023. So, yeah, uh, that's my suggestion is just start appealing to players outside of Web3 because uh, otherwise the industry has no legs to stand. And your, your game certainly, it would make it hard. And so how, how are you positioning yourself in, in Moonstream uh, based on all this evolution of the market and the industry, how do you see the, the, the upcoming year, maybe two years coming for, for you? What are you going to offer as a service? You know, it's, it's been challenging for many people and a lot of people are pivoting and, you know, trying to find solutions. So where, where do you stand? So I think for us, the opportunity is pretty big because player acquisition is sort of top of mind for most, um, yeah, it is. For most games and, and our technology makes it easier to acquire players, right? So like, for example, any web three game can use Moonstream like very easily to sort of, you know, turn OpenSea into sort of advertising for that game or, uh, you know, give players assets for like making certain achievements and like, you know, have the game for making certain achievements. Uh, so that is something that we're leading on pretty hard uh, right now. Uh, we're partnering, you know, with crypto guilds, we're working with like GG's.io with like different organizations who, who are sort of who have access to the players because we're a very small team. We prefer to just do infrastructure and automate everything, right? But uh, mm -hmm. ultimately, people are what makes uh, makes makes games stick, right? And so we're, yeah. with crypto guilds and, and other organizations, uh, we're just making it easy to sort of like, you know, run tournaments, like, you know, so where games like can reward players with assets in the game. So uh, where players, games can measure player skill, like, you know, players come and play the game, games measure the player skill, we have leaderboards and stuff for that. And then as players like sort of unlock like different levels of skill, games give them assets to like, you know, sort of play at the next level. So they reward engagement rather than reward like uh, investment, like investment of money, rather you shouldn't reward investment of time. We're, we've sort of, we sort of have that infrastructure already running and we're sort of putting it to use in this, in this like sort of player engagement and player acquisition. Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh... What, what I like very much is uh, the, the whole ideas of, of, you know, building up players' identity through yeah. uh, kind of these servicing of, okay, you know, you're going to release some NFTs or SBTs, soulbound tokens, so non-transferable yeah. NFTs as achievements, rewards to players. It keeps them engaged uh, based on these uh, SBTs. Maybe they can have NFTs or rewards that can be uh, then sell, sold and, you know, have monetary value. They can also bring that on to another game, et cetera. So this is extremely important uh, uh, for me, you know, this kind of providers. Uh, I, I put it also in, in, a, in a grander scheme of, of Quest kind of providers, you know, yeah. this Quest providers, companies that 
uh, okay, if you do this, you're going to have this achievement and this build out your, your decentralized profile, uh, gamer identity. And so that's something that you're, you're really helpful, uh, with. So yeah, essentially, yeah, you, your, your main value proposition right now to, uh, is, is mostly for games, I believe. And, and so if you're gonna, let's say, uh, uh, what would be the, the, the first thing you would, you would do with a, with a web three game right now that comes to more and say, okay, uh, we are about to, uh, launch yeah. and we want your help to acquire more players or increase our retention. So what would yeah. you do for them? Uh, the, I think the first thing I would do is I would, if, if they have like a, a an experience that people can play without owning a token, that would be ideal, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. Set up, set up like a advancement plan, like a progression plan for players. Like you know, uh, players enter, they play at like the free tier. Uh, mm -hmm. This is how you know the game has to do that. Like the game says, this is how we judge whether a player is uh, eligible for an upgrade to the next tier, right? Uh, in order to go next tier, we're going to give them like this token, right? So basically, like the players that do the best in like the free tier tournament, let's say, or the free tier leaderboard, they get a mm -hmm. token allows them to upgrade to the next level. So they get a token that allows them to, uh, you know, mid the, the character, make some land, whatever you need to play and then like start playing at the next level. So we, we would sort of uh, set up like that system of tournament. Setting up the tournaments takes like a few seconds on our side. The game integrations as well into our leaderboards and stuff is, is like a pretty short amount of time. We would set all of that up and then we would work with groups like, you know, crypto guilds and so on in order to like, you know, break bring players who might not even care about web three into the yeah. in game and, and have them start playing and usually players like this kind of advancement right where they can start yeah. off see if they like it and if they like it there's like already a roadmap for them for how they it improves improve inside that game world and uh increase their holdings inside the game so that's how we would start right okay fantastic i i also know that you uh you've been quite involved uh recently with uh different kind of communities. So I think there is a game seven and there is also, uh, uh, you mentioned some, uh, um, the community of, uh, YC founders in the, in the oh, industry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell us more about, about these two and how does this, you know, impact the, the industry or, you know, what you do with that? Uh, well, you know, we're uh, with Orange now, uh, invested in the stream and, uh, it's, it's a community of people who are building in web three, just, you know, a lot of like raw, like exciting, interesting ideas over there. Uh, mm -hmm. that's something where like, you know, it's just a group of founders together who like have funded other founders and like, you know, just building together in web three. Um, that's, there's just so much different stuff being built over there. So it's, it's hard to like, you know, pinpoint one thing, uh, it gives you that community though, the, you know, one thing that's really hard to find in the space sometimes mm -hmm. is a sense of community. Usually when money is involved, uh, yeah sort of those aspects of community that like really help a group of people create something, you know, like this is sort of like a philosophical mm -hmm. belief, uh, sometimes goes away because the money becomes like the, the, the most easily attached to belief. Right. Uh, so for me, Orange Tao has, has this really great community, uh, great, uh, great people to work with great ideas, uh, so that that's the value over there. Um, uh, I think they're running a fellowship program. If I had to plug something in Orange they're running a fellowship program. So if you're sort of interested, if anybody who's listening is sort of interested in Web3 and, uh, and you know, Orange Dow gives like, uh, maybe, I don't know, I, I think it's $25,000 and you get like a three-month fellowship to just like try something out, build something, uh, 
prototype something um, that could be useful for the community or, or you know, just for Web3 in general. Um, if you want to find out more about that, you can reach out to me and I can sort of point you at the right person. Uh, with Game 7, we're quite aligned because Game 7 sort of stands for building sort of open source uh, open source tooling uh, for, mm-hmm. for blockchain games, uh, which is also what Moonstream stands for. Like, you know, uh, almost all the code that we write, uh, except our operational code, uh, everything else is open source. And uh, we really believe in, in that kind of uh, freedom, you know, like uh, you don't really have decentralization uh, if... If the if the code that runs these systems is not available to, for everybody else to run, you know that's the reason that Bitcoin and Ethereum were able to become so big because anybody can participate in the network. There are no barriers to entry uh, compared to other networks, and you can you can see like in terms of the stability, like you know Bitcoin and Ethereum have a lot more stability compared to like uh, compared to other more centralized networks that exist because they don't put any barriers on participation. I mean. That makes them slow. That makes them a lot of things, but they're stable and like uh, and you know there's a lot of power over there as well. Um, so that's the reason that we believe in open source. Game Seven sort of believes in the same thing, and so we've sort of been partnering closer and closer together uh, over the past year. Actually, it's interesting that you were mentioning Soulbound tokens, Jeremy, because uh, we just released a, a a system in collaboration with Game Seven, uh, which is mm-hmm. an free for uh, game characters, like Web3 game characters. Mm. And uh, the whole thing was motivated a little bit by the Soulbound, Soulbound token. So, you know, in Web3, when somebody says Soulbound token, what they really mean is a token that's uh, not transferable by player. So the token is bound to the per- to the Ethereum account, right? Let's say yeah. in, on EVM chase. Um, so ownership of the token is by a person. In games, when people talk about soulbound tokens, they mean to- soulbound items. They mean items that are bound to game characters, right? Uh, yeah. And, and oh, different. a difference here. Uh, and oh, okay, okay. I think it's actually a very important difference because you know we talk about ownership in Web three, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Ownership of game assets and stuff like that. Um, but if I, if you know there are things inside the game, if nothing in the game can be bound to a character then ultimately, like, you know, whatever you do as a player is connected yeah. to you rather than connected. So let's say that, like, you know, you level up a character or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And or let's say you level up like a board ape. Like maybe maybe it's even like an NFT that doesn't belong to a game, right? Uh, originally yeah. belong to a game, but then someone creates a game for it. And let's say that you spend a lot of time leveling up that character. Uh, at some point, you know, when you sell the character and let's say all of the rewards that you earned are connected with your account, when you when you sell that character to someone or transfer that character to someone, uh, none of the work that you did in improving the character actually transfers along with the character. It all remains with you, right? That so that's actually a huge problem for games. It's a subtle problem, but it's actually like in the long term, if you think about like the second and third order, is yeah, it's a pretty problem. So we released a, an NFT inventory system. It's a contract that allows any NFT project. It doesn't even have to be a game to define inventory slots for their NFTs, which are bound to the character and not to the owner. So basically, mm. uh, inside a game, I can give experience to a character or I can give like, I can kill a character using the inventory system and I can have an inventory slot that tells you whether the character is alive or dead. Uh, and that goes with the character rather than going with mm-hmm. the player of that character. So that like, let's say that the player sells the character to someone else or transfers the character to someone else. Um, all of those attributes in the inventory go along with the character. And there are attributes that you can equip, uh, unequip, and there are attributes that can't be unequipped where Game Master changes them. Uh, so there, yeah. 
so there's kind of two layers here because right so you yeah for me soulbound were uh, like bounded to your ethereum address or to your identity and it was really based on the player's identity you know you yeah. want to say okay so i've been playing this amount of time in this game i've i've uh, killed this boss i've done this uh, i went I, I ranked this level in the leaderboard all these kind of things so i can you know carry it around but yeah. you, but you also say so like you kind of have this layer around the nft itself the character itself and that yeah. also adds its its value by bounding items or whatever uh that's yeah i, I didn't think about that as well it, it's Actually, yeah both, really interesting. Both things have value you know both things have yeah. value you want to have player achievements but then you also want to have things that are associated with characters themselves uh and until now, it, it hasn't been possible to do it in a generalized manner. So until now, like let's say that you are building a game, if you wanted to have this kind of behavior, you had to go and modify the source code of like your smart contract. You yeah. Have to, like, yeah. Or a smart contract that sort of respected this behavior. Uh, but with the system that we released with Game 7, uh, this inventory system, uh, any NFT collection can sort of plug into the right behavior without having to modify mm-hmm. that code, which is a big deal, you know? So now you can actually... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's even a big deal for interoperability, right? Because this means it is yeah, from one, one project into another project. Like, let's say that, uh, you know, I want to use like board apes. Let's say they want to use moonbirds as malts, right? Now they can do that. Now all they have to do is like board apes creates an, an, an inventory contract. They create a malt slot and they say that moonbirds can be loaded into the malt slot for like the, for, for board apes. And they can, they can do that. This is, this is actually like a, a really big deal. And we're starting to like, uh, you know, it's starting to gain adoption inside games. So we have two projects that are going to go live with this at ETH Denver and uh, and sort of build up on it. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, no, there, again, there's there's so much to do right now. You know, everybody has been a bit stunned in the industry, but what has happened? And we're all like, okay, so what, what what's going to happen next? But we need to keep in mind that there's there's been so much money that has been invested. There are so many different companies and so many we're not aware of at all because they're just in stealth mode developing not communicating at all, but they are following whatever everything that is happening. So much is about to be released. And you know, we only need one one game that yeah. really worked to to spark to spark, you know, the next the next wave. Because only Axie just brought in Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Axie in this industry. <laughs> or all of it. Like yeah. literally everything. Uh like eight billion dollars invested in web in, in gaming last year uh, and, and so on and so forth. So if we have just one successful experiment out of the uh, thousands that are being uh, are being run right now with billions of dollars invested everybody's going to run back and you know develop things iterate extremely fast so yeah for, for us we, we also have the same kind of positioning which is definitely the right time and right place to be here build connect with the right founders uh because they're, if they are here still now is probably going to remain and, and when things will come back they're probably going to be doing something good so you know better be uh, sticking around um, okay, I have a, I'm going to ask you, uh, a, um, kind of my last question, which is a, the question I ask to every single person I interview here. I call it the, the meta question and it's the following. So, uh, if life is a game and you can go up to level 100, what is your current level? Well, my current level, uh, this is a good question. Yeah. Is it like an exponential? Is it like an exponential power up? So like uh, level one hundred can beat like two thousand level ninety nine characters. It is. It is up to you to interpret it the way you want. Okay. 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 Interesting. I have a similar question that I ask people. Um, okay. not, not even about games. I ask them like you know what is their, what is their internal age? Like you know when you think about yourself, like when, mm-hmm. when you you know in your internal representation of yourself, 
how old are you? Okay. And okay. Uh, so basically my answer to your question is going to tell you like what also my answer to my question is. Now I think I'm like level two or level three. Okay. And uh, my internal representation, my internal representation of myself is basically yeah. me and four year old. Like basically my, uh, I, I, I think of, I think in those terms about myself, like, you know, I, I, I don't know what, what's your internal age? Like, yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, okay. Uh, um, so it's very interesting the way you apply to it because yeah, the question I ask everyone and it's up to interpretation, most people, uh, tell us, tell me something about their age, right? Yeah. Because, you know, 100, they can you know, yeah. position themselves or so they say either their age or a bit up or low or, but they position themselves around that. And, uh, and me, I actually have a very similar, uh, kind of answer to that as well, which is, uh, uh, also, uh, I mean, it's kind of internal age. So we're a position on the grand scheme of things, you know, and the, yeah. and the kind of potential you, you could potentially reach. And, and, uh, and my answer is very similar to you, uh, to yours, I would say I'm level two or three. Uh, but yeah, most people do say their, their, their age. Uh, but my follow-up question to that is how do you win the game? Well, I don't, I think your goal should not be to win the game. So. Have you, uh, you know, there's a very interesting book, uh, that I really recommend to a lot of people. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard about it, Jeremy. Have you heard about finite and infinite games by, uh, no, no, uh, I, I may heard, but I didn't read it. No, for sure. Okay. I, I highly recommend to read that book. Uh, I won't say anything else, but, uh, I recommend to anyone to read this book, finite and infinite games. Uh, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, the reason that I gave, uh, let's say, let's even say level one, right? Level two doesn't matter. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, or the reason that I feel like my internal age is four is because I feel excited when I feel like, you know, there's so much more to learn in the universe. You know, that's like, uh, exactly. there's just so much more out there to explore. And like, you know, no person can like, you know, even if you're a, a, like a thousand years old, you can't like scratch the surface of even just things that people have done, like humans, like yeah. about science and like, you know, the, the, the galaxies and like, you know, the entire universe, just, just what people mm -hmm. have done like through the course of human history. It's impossible yeah. to even scratch the surface of that. Like, you know, even if you are a thousand years old. So, um, that's a, that's, that's the thing about it. That's, uh, that's really exciting to me. And I, I feel as if like, you know, because there's so much of this breath in like, in just what there is to explore any mm -hmm. rules that you try to impose on, like, you know, winning implies like a winning condition, right? It impo it, mm -hmm. it implies types of rules. Uh, I think the rules like sort of unnecessarily constrain like how you can see the world and how you how like you know how you perceive perceive reality um and uh, like probably like the only true way to win is by not caring about winning <laughs> like you know like that that kind of like zen statement uh, uh so yeah i i think it's not it not so important to care about winning <laughs> in, in this sense that's a good uh, that's a, a good answer interesting one I, I like it as well because my answer to that is kind of similar is is uh, I say, so I'm considering myself level two and I probably know how to win the game when I reach level 10, but for now, <laughs> well, I think that's why it's fun to drink with you, right? <laughs> that's okay. Exactly. 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 You got it right. You got it right. No, but I, most people, uh, have a more, uh, you know, are more, much more grounded in reality than we are. Yeah. <laughs> They're delusional and they say sensible things like, uh, having a family, building a legacy. They're happy and making people around happy, which is much more, uh, I mean, healthy for your yeah. own sanity, I guess. But if you want to be uh, completely delusional and, uh, and you know, not grounded in reality, you can, you can do, you can answer as we just answered. And that's yeah, and we have a club. So next, uh, next Imperial conference, like, yeah, we just, <laughs> and that's true. We'll, we'll have a club. Let's call it a guild. 
Yeah. Um, you... <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. That, that's that's it for today. It was really really a pleasure again to 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 have you in your ash. A lot of fun to discuss with you. So people can uh, find you, reach out to you. Uh, where where is the best? Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, yeah, Twitter. I'm Zonglings on Twitter. Um, and our the for Moonstream, it's Moonstream PO is the is the Twitter account. Uh, if you go to our website, if you go to Moonstream.po, all of our socials are there. So you can even reach out to us on Discord. We actually do most of our work in the open. Um, mm-hmm. so you can you follow along. If you have questions, feel free to ask us. We're happy to sort of help you. Okay. Perfect. Uh, so have a great day. It was a pleasure. And to everybody else, I will uh, see you again for a new uh, interviews. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Thank you.